Welcome everyone as Fantastic Geek takes one more trip to the galaxy far, far away. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello there, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. Here today with the last of a six-film podcast plan that began with episode one, once a Patreon exclusive. Today we're talking about Return of the Jedi. Indeed, and uh, very much looking forward to going on this journey for this film. First, Pete, have to mention that since we last spoke Star Wars... Uh, there's been, uh, well, of course, we, we recently have spoken about the uh, final Season 3 Mandalorian trailer, but uh, there's been some info on just how many pairs of eyes have watched that trailer as well. Yes, uh, exclusive report, Matt. One wonders about exclusivity these days from The Hollywood Reporter tells us that 83.5 million views have been amassed to the season three trailer of The Mandalorian ahead of its March 1st release. And uh, we, of course, put together a podcast for you uh, if you haven't heard that already. Yeah, and just for reference, the uh, the kind of comparable uh, trailer count uh, would be for Obi-Wan Kenobi that had roughly 58 million views. So no surprise that the flagship presentation of Disney Plus, the the you know major cultural crossover since uh, since the character of uh, the child, aka Baby Yoda, aka Grogu, first appeared uh, in November 2019. No no surprise that there's lots and lots and lots of anticipation for this show and uh, for the characters to return. Yes, and I'm sure all the people that now maintain that only Andor, the sophisticated adult drama, is Star Wars, uh, will never ever come back to watch uh, our helmeted friend who's got another hit going right now on the HBO Max and his $5 million breakout uh, puppet friend. It will be. I mean, let's all just wait for it when there's the 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 mid level uh, social media famous person or the YouTube video or something like that. Uh, again, not necessarily from you know uh, kind of entertainment press, but kind of you know the the mid level folks going. Finally, Star Wars has come home to its roots, a story that the family can enjoy and not mired in things like you know prison ethics. And uh, freedom versus rules. Star Wars is finally home, says person who found Star Wars was finally home with the gritty <laughs> realism of Andor. You know, J- just wait for it. Just wait for it. I'm I'm sure it's coming. Uh, but some other news kind of connected to the Star Wars universe. Uh, Steven Spielberg is making a feature length uh, documentary about uh, John Williams. So that ought to be fun to check out. You know, somebody who helped Spielberg so much with his career and now towards the end of, uh, John Williams, illustrious career, uh, paying that back. So that's kind of nice. Absolutely. And, uh, recently John Williams walking back the notion that he was retiring anytime soon. Uh, I believe he had the line. I've heard that from age 90 to age 100 is when you can be at your most productive. So I want to find that out. 
really looking forward to his work in Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny this summer. And Matt, speaking of going back to the movies here, Disney's uh, protracted, projected uh, film schedule has magically appeared online with Star Wars movies slotted for December's 25 and 27. What's interesting is, you know, once upon a time, uh, let's say in a pre uh Fox purchase and all that these would have been uh, not these two dates you're talking about the dates now taken up by avatar would have been star wars so it's just interesting the flip side being you can't necessarily even if you ha- were to fast track a star wars movie well it's not christmas 24 that's avatar 3 um and on and on as they as they chart things out there um it will be interesting i know that Close to the end of the JPEG era, um, rumor was that uh, word had come down from 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 the Burbank headquarters that Kathleen Kennedy's Lucasfilm needed to stop talking about when Star Wars things would come out because then if they missed those dates or if things got you know development paused or maybe developed out of existence or or just simply delayed as it was perfected, then then people looked you know people looked silly versus like. Honestly, how many people really, really are going to sit and go, Pete, untitled Disney animation for Wednesday, November 25th, 2026. That circled on my calendar in my heart. Yeah, like, it, right. Like, like stuff can get moved around. <laughs> Look, if they're av- it's not exactly uh, May 25th of 1983. Yeah, I- I- exactly. And to sit and go, Avatar 4, uh, December for 2026 same week a year later untitled star wars for 2027 avatar 5 christmas 2028 like these are just placeholders pete once upon a time okay the bespectacled guy who directed uh, american graffiti told 20th century fox i can't reach that uh christmas 1976 date what if we made it may you know things worked out things worked out so these are it's it's interesting to say there are star wars films on the radar great fantastic uh but we don't need to be as cautious as the bob chapek era where like god forbid that gets moved to a may because it, it'll all work out shifting it back to return of the jedi here matt a movie i believe unfairly given a bad rap over ewoks Uh, You know, I was seven years old at the time of this release. I was super fortunate with my uh, really, I guess she was, she was seven and a half months pregnant with my youngest brother. My mom brought us on day three. Um, I remember the first two days just sitting there like there are people that know what has happened in this movie and I'm not one of them. and all the hype coming with the buildup to the end of this trilogy that, you know, we really did believe at the time was the end of it. Um, from the first posters bearing uh, revenge of the Jedi and then, you know, running into some uh, issues there at one point with, uh, you know, 
the wrath of Khan and the vengeance of Khan and the whole thing there in 1982. And then Lucas backpedaling. Okay. Well, uh, revenge is something a Jedi would believe in. And then like, uh, October of 1982 fall, you know, maybe early winter, there was a photo of Jabba the Hutt and Bib Fortuna that was in some magazine that I had seen them and I clipped out and uh, then, you know, not realizing that Jabba's a slug, drawing him in my notebooks with legs and all that kind of stuff. And then this was the time, too, you were starting to get, you know, a couple of the action figures before the movie had come out. And, you know, back to a time when you know, posters and promotional stuff, you know, a, a couple of years later, the Gremlins poster, you know, you don't splash the Gremlins all over that or E.T. or anything like that. They actually blacked out on the back of the action figure cards, the Ewoks. They were like smeary black, you know, pre Photoshop blobs over them it's like oh who who are who are the black blobs there who who is that going to be um but i vividly remember having a biker scout and bib fortuna you know a couple weeks months before return of the jedi and it's like okay these are these are the guys from the new adventure what's this going to be like and you know just such anticipation in a way that you know, I wasn't old enough to really sense with Empire Strikes Back. I'll add to that. I think that this movie, which I, I think most people would say of the original trilogy, this is the third place film. Um, some some other context for it. OK, other films that come out in 1983. Pete, I think most people know the know all these films in the top 10. Risky Business, Mr. Mom, Staying Alive. Uh, sudden impact that's your dirty harry uh octopussy war games trading places flash dance in terms of endearment that's spots 10 through 2 okay terms of endearment the number two movie of 1983 with 108 million dollars box office uh so which is say all the other films are under 100 million dollars you know calculate your own uh you know change in in money value from then to now but terms of endearment 108 million dollars return of the jedi Three hundred nine million dollars. So the third, or or the least good Star Wars movie of the original trilogy and whatnot, massive, massive financial success. I would add to that, you know, part of the part of the um, knock around the pre-production of this film is Lucas kind of you know p- putting his finger on the scale when it comes to at least allegedly, allegedly putting his finger on the scale to maximize toyification of things um and and also lucas on set all the time uh he couldn't get steven spielberg or david lynch or david cronenberg his first three choices he wasn't going to direct himself so richard marquand who pete i think even really kind of hoity-toity film people would be hard-pressed to name a second richard marquand film so point being this vision of the future that this movie brings might there have been a slightly better might there have been a better movie if there was less toyification i I don't know maybe 
But here we are all these years later, particularly with Star Wars and things in the Disney sphere saying, make a great movie. And by the way, can we add a talking friend to the latest Disney animated movie? Because we can plush toy the heck out of it and then do a meet and greet at the parks. Uh, similarly, Pete, Marvel movies, right? Quick, can you name off the top of your head the directing team who did Captain Marvel, a billion dollar movie? No. <laughs> do you know what they have directed since then? Uh, I don't. Point being, in Marvel movies, with some exceptions, in Marvel movies, the directors aren't really the directors. They show up and do the photography. The movie is made beforehand uh, by the executives and the writing process and all of that. Then the executives get all the footage back and edit it together, as was the case with Captain Marvel, without the directors. Editing occurs without the directors. Similarly here, we all know Star Wars is a George Lucas baby and so forth. You know, for all the praise that we gave last week to uh, Irving Kirshner and his you know, incredible role in making Empire Strikes Back the film that it is. Um, full credit here to Richard Marquand. It's a pity that he died at age 50 uh, and it is, has not been here to do things like, you know, Blu-ray commentary tracks and DVD commentary tracks and retrospectives and all of that. But the author of this film is George Lucas, as you see nowadays with, with certainly with Marvel being a Kevin Feige production first and foremost. Um, and, you know, again, you can sit and go, why didn't, you know, why did they do Ewoks and not Wookiees? Why did they do either and not, you know, a, a more advanced, interesting lizard people thing? Uh, it was to sell plushies, baby. That could be a knock, but that's also, that's also the world we're living in right now. So this movie is a vision of the future in all those regards. Yeah, I think there's, you know, quite a bit of logic to that. Um, I remember with the early advertising too, you know, when we had seen there was a second death star, but it wasn't whole, uh, not understanding it was under construction. We thought it was the original. Oh, they, they found it. <laughs> Wait, didn't we see it blow up? <laughs> so there was confusion there. Um, I think too, you know, what, what you said, yes let's let's sell teddy bears and things like that it was also the easier route you could find more little people than you could find taller people at this time given where they were in terms of production and listen star wars as you laid out with the box office was popular but to what extent you know we talked last week about money problems with empire uh, you know, all right, we're going to shut down the NBA so we can get every tall person and, and do it with Wookiees. It also services the plot so well that they would do that. Um, but as you mentioned before, Matt, and I've definitely thought of this rewatching uh, the film as the opening crawl mentions this vile gangster job of the hut that Luke has gone home to confront it's really kind of like the last 25 minutes of the previous film. And as I said, for our new hope podcast, it's all the stronger. I mean, look, many people listening to this podcast uh, grew up with the unspecial edition of a new hope where I think Jabba is mentioned in passing. You, know, you, you, this is what happens when you drop your cargo for Jabba, but kind of the Jabba scene in a new hope is not there. 
this the notion that he he show java shows up now in the special edition of a new hope that he's a major you know the the bounty is a major factor in how the plot goes for empire and now we get the payoff here um i i always feel at the end of this java sequence you know and it's like great we'll we'll, we'll rendezvous soon and i don't mean to fast forward through this scene but just to say when this scene finally concludes and the falcon goes this way and the x-wing x-wing goes that way every single time it's not just like i'm transported back to the first time although i i am as well but it's always like oh yeah now there's the rest of the movie and not the i'm not headed straight to like the the uh the, the chorus singing as there's the the fight in uh, on the death star underneath the walkway there we got to get some more crunchy like uh philosophy first but that that only speaks to just how amazing this opening is and it doubles down on the cantina stuff um you know after we set up and you know the film is really about returning to the roots of the original all right hey here's a uh, star destroyer at the beginning going the opposite way that it was in the last film going the opposite way that it was in the first film and ooh, here's a brand new shuttle and here's your second more powerful death star that uh you know um we've got some digital foreground enhancements to in the special edition here there's a tie fighter and a you know droid hanging in the hangar um great line out of vader you know you better uh get yourself back on schedule here because the emperor is not as forgiving as he is but um a sequence that follows or was originally intended to follow afterward that there's um deleted scenes and bits from on disney plus and on the blu-rays was to intercut luke building his lightsaber and reaching out to vader um and really kind of resolving that mystery early on it's better that it's not there and remains as deleted stuff as the droids head towards jabba's palace we're told by the droids matt by 3po that lando and chewbacca never returned from this awful place uh chewie's not yet in jabba's palace all right yeah I can forgive that, that they never return from Tatooine and Chewie will be brought there in a little bit by Leia posing as a bounty hunter. But it was a little incongruous on this watch in particular. And then we get the iconic uh, palace door droid, something we've seen since on the Mandalorian. We will also see on Skeleton Crew. Everything about this portion of the story, um, it's funny. It's so good. I'm wondering now, like, the, does the rest of the movie, I won't say pales by comparison, but the fact that the fact that this is probably not anybody's favorite uh, Star Wars movie, particularly of the original trilogy, you know, is it just because this this really like with uh, the the attack at the start of empire like this is such a great climax you're just opening with it and so forth but yeah everything is pitch perfect um it's got more of that world building i have to admit it was only with the i guess i've always seen as they enter the door and the camera now shifts to, to inside and you see the door closing and whatnot i guess on some level i've always seen 
the the robot with the sloshy brain bowl that, the bone monk yeah that, that that of course became its own thing you know we're we're well into even if lucas wasn't maximizing toyification here we're well into the practice for a star wars production to sit and go let's make weird you know weird and wonderful things and if it's not going to be toyified then boy it's going to be great in the novel in the junior novelization in the playing cards so on and so on and so on i don't even know that i saw that monk robot thing until it was first it first showed up uh more recently was that book of boba fett mm-hmm. um and then it was like oh that's that thing in the background like you know the the whole notion of it but that's part of what makes star wars so strong that you can have these things that were made yes maybe made with an eye towards secondary marketing type stuff but it stands on its own with its own kind of, you know, its own corner of the universe. Well, the Boomer monks, the whole backstory there is that the palace was their monastery and Java took it over. Um, and they wouldn't see, uh, you know, toy version until the, the 90s. And that second wave of Star Wars interest, there was a real fallow point. Um, you know, you got like two years worth of merchandise out of Jedi and then you know it was like blowing things out and giving it away and then there were you know some Ewoks cartoons and the droid cartoons which weren't very very good and you know didn't really scratch an itch but uh to get Bib Fortuna here and the Gamorrean guards and talk of some mysterious gift for Jabba and we can see now with the clarity of uh, Mandalorian season two with the tag scene and the book of Boba Fett, Bib Fortuna, you know, the, the greeniness angling. Oh, I'll, I'll take that that gift. And I think what's particularly effective with him as a character is that there are moments where he's clearly speaking Hatties and then there's others, you know, it's. It's on the level of like Spanglish where he's kind of like jamming languages together, but we can kind of understand what he's saying. Um, yeah. Uh, actor Eric Bosserfeld, who again, I don't know that I would know him from anything else. Um, although I see he also did voices for uh, Admiral Akbar as well. Uh, but again, this is the, the leading role in this film is not that of uh, Bib Fortuna. Um, but that actor is the one who's selling it in terms of you not needing to be stuck to the subtitles for the entire length of his dialogue. And because there is that, you know, there is to our ears, English within the Star Wars universe, there is, uh, the basic language making its way through. Um, and I'll just point out perhaps the obvious that this whole, there's only three there's only three people involved in the story who don't know the plan that's going on here. It's 3PO, it's R2-D2, and it's we, the audience. R2 knows the plan. He's got the lightsaber you know, inside I, it. I, you know what? I completely take that back. So it's two people. It's 3PO. Um, and, tell 3PO? Exactly. But just, look, had this scene been at the end of a movie, right? That's Ocean's Eleven, where you sit and go all right, let's run it through one more time. Let's like, you know, there'll be those scenes to kind of prep the audience for it. Part of the genius of this is, 
you know, 3PO, our proxy, doesn't know what's going on either. Meanwhile, one can assume that in the last uh, year of Star Wars timeline between Empire and this, um, that they've practiced and practiced and they've done, you know, again, a la Ocean's Eleven. They've said, well, if this doesn't work, go to the secondary air duct. None of that is necessary here. And we're just getting it as wait where are these people and who's and things are falling apart look here comes chewbacca and thing, everything is bad it's just the construction is so delightful seeing jabba the hut for the first time in a theater and then learning through behind the scenes featurettes the the little they would put out of what it took to make that work um you know, was really an awe-inspiring moment as a child. The glimpse they would give into the filmmaking, the magic there. And then this menagerie that goes along with him. Again, so wonderfully doubling down. Oh, you liked the cantina? Well, now we're going to have a whole, you know, palace full of those colorful aliens and rogues and all of that and then to in the middle of that throw this message here where luke you know almost wearing like a a priest's type of you know all black he's got the collar kind of monastic outfit we'd never seen a full-on jedi introduces himself as a jedi knight uh trying to bargain for uh, Jabba's favorite decoration. And of course, it's not going to go the way that the good guys would hope. We've talked about how back in these olden days, there were three years between Star Wars films. I mean, obviously, same for the prequels as well. But I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that Mark Hamill, fine, he's aged the six years since the first film was made and he's a little bit more wise in life and he's an international star and all of that. But the guy who gave us, you know, power converters a mere six years ago, you know, you buy him here on the hollow message as all of those things, as the, as the Jedi Knight, as the, the well-trained monk. Um, we know there's a certain plan afoot because it's probably not just, Oh, take these droids and the end. Um, so again, kudos to to Mark Hamill, who you, know, you can really see a progress in his performance across the three films. It's such a you know serious read, yet we can still feel the character, and you know there there is that development from him, and then this dungeon aspect of Jabba's home. Uh, one of the really interesting things. So they put out a, he's just one kind of color yellow Java toy, but they gave you the throne there and the throne, you could take them off it and it would open up and it was kind of like a little dungeon there. Obviously they couldn't give you the whole Rancor pit, but you could throw your figures in there and there were kind of like some molded bones and parts in there. Just kind of cool. But there's this whole like and we we got to see more of it in the book of Boba Fett, thankfully, this idea of these catacombs of these, you know, filthy cells of all these other places and that the droids are brought down. They're branding a gunk 
power droid on the feet. Uh, they're they're torturing them. There's the tail of the last protocol droid that got disintegrated, and uh, even mention of the the sail barge. So we're you know foreshadowing the movie going forward that R two is is going to become Bar two D two. I was struck with Book of Boba Fett. It, to me, it kept looking like the the Book of Boba Fett palace throne room. I was like, did they get the 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 dimensions wrong? But of of all, like, of course they didn't. What's what's the difference here? Um, and I think it's two things. First of all, just because of the nature of the Book of Boba Fett story, the room, the main throne room, is not packed with you know, the the feeling of 50 different people and hangers on and dancers and all of this and that, the other. Um, but then add to it, again, my kind of initial Star Wars experience watching it on VHS full screen. So you got that square image there. I was probably not seeing the edges of the wall, whereas with Book of Boba Fett, I'm watching it in, in, in widescreen and the, the, you know, initial intention of the set is coming across. Um, but again, all that just speaks to, as you're saying, whether it's the throne room uh, or these these other rooms here, giving you a sense of how big it is. When if you probably went back and did the math, you're not talking about, you know, you're talking about the 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 droid torture room and kind of that little that little corner of things, the throne room, and then the pit, and that's probably and we have the kind of the, the entranceway type thing, but there's probably not a whole lot to this as a set, just in terms of square feet. And then as we lead into the new musical number uh, for the special editions here, started by the harmonica playing rapper Tooney, and then being able to employ the digital effects to have a dancing size noodles um, and turn what was originally a solo lap neck, the original song into a duet now um you know lapping neck was catchy as stiff as it was in the performance size snoodles is a you know a, a puppet you know she doesn't move much and to have her dancing around now yeah it's good but i think there was a little bit more soul in that original song I distinctly remember being in the theater for Return of the Jedi Special Edition, certainly opening weekend, maybe opening night. I remember saying, boy, there's less people in the theater than there was, because what, they release them every three weeks or something like that? Um, so Less for Empire, certainly not the sold-out theater that there was for A New Hope. Um Okay, whatever. I'm here with I'm here with my bros. We're watching the new the new old Star Wars and you know, all that. I remember just being revolted by this change and so offended and so on and so forth. And Pete, I watch it now and I have a hard time remembering what the puppet. I mean, I know what the puppet design used to look like. I have a hard time remembering what the sequence was. I know that I, some of the animation is a little bit too maybe overly animated and so forth, but. It's not a perfect edition, but I, I I found myself enjoying it, found myself, I don't know, just enjoying kind of the rock jazz aspect of it. And um, if this was George's original, closer to his original intent, as opposed to George wants to make a certain number of changes because whatever, um, 
this is a change. This is a change I've I've made my peace with. It it's okay, and you know what does it allow? It allows us to see more going along, not just with this performance, but around the margins, and even there. So you have uh, Max Rebo's band is you know further built out. There's these guys playing an enormous drum, beating it from two different sides. Um, the Rancor, they add a little bit here. Previously, Ula is the uh, dancer that gets uh, dropped inside because she's fighting back on Jabba here. You don't see the Rancor in that sequence in the original release. You just get her scream and she goes in and, and that's it. We don't know. And there's the horror of what it is when when Luke finally sees it. Um, and then off this sequence to have uh, Princess Leia posing, we don't know originally, as the bounty hunter, Boosh. And the mighty Chewbacca is a, is a great way of introducing him, reintroducing him to the story and running up the price there as Boba Fett now in the special edition is making the time with the dancers. Uh, you know, they all know who he is and he taps the one on the, on the chin and then 3PO screwing up the negotiations, getting batted down and reemerging with slime all over him. Um, when the thermal detonator gambit happens. And it's, you know, again, it's such a great moment there. Um, you have with Jabba not speaking English and fine, he used to not be subtitled. Now he's subtitled in the special edition. Uh, to me, that's not a huge, it's slightly more arty to rely on 3PO solely, but whatever you want to throw. So many of us watch now with subtitles anyway. Um, to me, it's almost neither here nor there, but the whole thing of like 3PO as narrator, like, and he's holding a thermal detonator. Um, and then Jabba laughing in response to it, you know, kind of, you know, uh, villain recognizing villain and all of that and, and, and appreciating the move. Um, again, it's just absolutely fantastic story stuff. It is. And to inject into this here, kind of the way in which Boba Fett was used in the original release and then the special editions here nodding at uh this other bounty hunter game recognizing game and then um you know lando uh kind of pulling the mask down as uh chewie's pulled away we oh, all right he's he's there we now know he's he's embedded within this leading to this sleepy time rescue effort uh, by Princess Leia um, where she gets the Han and, you know, uh, takes him out of carbonite, the hibernation sickness uh, and the, and the, um, the improved effects of the original uh, definitely help. Um, but then of course Jabba's right behind the curtain and he hears it all and uh calls Han Bantha Poodoo. Um I don't know if me 
if I had watched Return of the Jedi for the first time as an adult, I don't know that I would have been struck in some of those scenes as the, the mysterious masked Boosh, the bounty hunter, is tiptoeing up to the Han Solo uh, encasement there. I don't know if I would have been struck the way I was this time that, boy, Boosh looks to be about a, a five foot one fit woman maybe under there. Wonder who it could be. Who amongst all these Star Wars fans? We've only seen Lando at this point. Which character could it be who might possibly fit into that frame? Um, which, Pete, I did not mean to set up as an ironic uh, transition, but then, of course, quickly next scene, we see um, Pete, we see Carrie Fisher in that iconic uh, metal bikini Um all I know is this, Pete. To my knowledge, Carrie Fisher never looked back and said, you know, George, this was a terrible idea. I felt taken advantage of and so forth. Um, perhaps if the movie was made today, the metal bikini would make it. Perhaps it wouldn't. I know this. I believe it, if it was my very first New York Comic Con when we went to uh, the, the Northern Pavilion, which is now no longer there. Um seeing one young lady in a very well-made uh, metal bikini. Um, and I don't know if she was with, I think she was, some people have to be, uh, had requested respectfully to take her picture. And then there was a, an older gentleman with white hair dressed as uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And somebody said, you guys should take a picture together. So they, they did, they didn't know each other. There was then a second uh, young lady dressed in, in, a, in another well-made metal bikini so she went on the other arm of the the older gentleman. I remember him saying, sometimes it's good to be the old guy. So Pete, all I know is this, maybe, uh, a, you know, studio executive Pete nowadays might say, I don't know if we're kind of taking advantage here with the whole metal bikini thing, but uh, ladies seem to like it. Gentlemen seem to like it. So hopefully no harm, no foul. It is iconic. Um, it's hard to imagine because the whole way you know from her being a prisoner here to later strangling java with the very chains that she's put in um how to remove that um she didn't lament the outfit she joked about it uh carrie fisher you know that you could see all the way down to florida um but you know it, it's there they make it work. Um, what's interesting intercut before you get, um, you know, her sitting essentially on Jabba's lap, uh, Luke comes in and starts force choking Gamorrean guards. Um, yes. A new side to Luke here. And again, when I first watched this probably, you know, age seven, I was, I was certainly not consciously keying into things like the force choking and how that's like, that's not exactly a nice way to do that. And look, he's dressed in all black, which traditionally is a way to show a villain. Wait, are there any other Star Wars villains dressed in all black? Oh, you know, like some of those cues I probably um, was not picking up on, let alone, again, the change in Mark Hamill's performance here to to bring in some of those, you know, we're meant to have those questions on first view. Um is he going to follow in the path of his father? Is he going to turn to evil and so forth? Um, but certainly there's an aspect to that in his reintroduction here. To get dropped into the rank or pit that 
you know, the one Gamorrean guard that goes with him, uh, the, the sense of scale gets consumed and his hand is sticking out as the last piece eaten. Okay, this mix of stop motion, claymation, puppetry, all of that, and, you know, camera trickery works so well. And then really, too, foreshadowing the anti-technology motif uh, to victory at the end of the film. Luke beats this, not with the Force, doesn't have his lightsaber. He uses what he has on hand, props the jaw open with a bone, later throws a skull to drop the gigantic garage door on him and make the rancor keeper really upset to my eyes if if all of the footage in that scene is um you know 1983 stuff uh it looks great if they've done some tweaks here and there um it's lighter uh they've they've gotten rid of a lot of the matte lines then you know what then those are all i mean those are all reasons why a special edition of something is a good idea can be a good idea because this you know this works again is there a you know if they did it today would you be doing a large model no you wouldn't you'd be doing computer generated like they did for book of boba fett and on the one hand maybe it would look more it's not real all computer generated in book of boba fett that's a that's a puppet at times well, and th- then you know what? Th- that then speaks to the fidelity that you can get from the real, even if it is not 30 feet tall, et cetera, et cetera, because, you know, this scene just works. And I'm glad to hear that in Book of Boba Fett, you know, that Rancor is not um, all ones and zeros either, because <laughs> that similarly just looked. You can kind of say when it's jumping from building to building in Book of Boba Fett, that's probably a digital double. But again, sometimes you just can't do better than real. That's what Star Wars has discovered in the last four years. Yeah, and that the demise of the Rancor incurs such wrath out of Jabba. You know, you've you've killed my pet here, and now what are we going to do? We're going to throw you into... The great pit of Carcoon. Ooh, what is that? You know, and and you'll be slowly digested over a thousand years, huh? Wonder if they'll make that work in the long term of of Star Wars in 1983. <laughs> um, and and then to have the special edition now have a transition where we see the the Bantha, you know, like cows, just kind of grazing in the dune sea there and, and then over the next big dune here comes the the sail barge on its way through the arizonan desert uh that pete actually has a piece of i have a piece of the um the stuffing the the plaster i guess the padding of uh the sarlacc wow um the sail barge design is great. The music in it is great. Um, certainly as all the characters move into position for the execution here, um, we can sense it's building to some great fun. Um, 
particularly, you know, in the John Williams kind of dun, 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 you know, the, the, the music is building up and all that. Um, it's all just wonderful tension. And again, we now could fully be appreciating that the parts of the unseen plan are coming together. Um, and if, and if you weren't completely sure of that all along, you know, when Luke gives his salute to life, but instead mm-hmm. it's the signal, the three PO and we see the, the little hatch opening and so forth, uh, all that leading to the, uh, you know, kind of the, um, you know, there he is on the plank and the jump down and spin around and the jump up. And it's just, that would have been fun. I, Pete, I wish I could have seen that in a full theater with people who'd never seen the movie before. Um, you know, much as there's the the vaunted, you know, like, look, somebody snuck a tape recorder into, you know, 1977 to see, uh, to, to record how the audience reacted to the, the trench run and here comes the Millennium Falcon and whatnot. This must have been almost as much fun back when it was fresh and new. It killed. I mean, I knew that Luke had a green lightsaber. Green is my favorite color. And I was like, oh, man, he's got a new one and it's green. Um, but to see him first wield it in this scene and to have the reaction of an audience, this off the uncomfortability, you know, Han is temporarily blind and doesn't trust the kid to be able to get him out of trouble here. Here they're about to be thrown into, uh, you know, a hole in the sand that now has a digital beak. Okay. But it's a fantastic set piece, you know, from going off the little, you know, uh, plank there, essentially a diving board, something that we recreated uh, in the summertime, uh, you know, trying to grab a lightsaber, jumping off and all that. Um, And then, you know, you add uh, a character like Boba Fett to this sequence and what it ultimately means for him the question remains, does one of the most popular characters in the history of the franchise leave the film like a punk? Um, he does. And I think that that's, you know, where was congrats. He's in the film. So you can refresh the toy line and fine. You're not going to do more with him in this particular story. Um, I suppose part of the, I'll say naivete, maybe that's a little unfair, but Pete, certainly there was not going to be the streaming uh, option and the this and the that for branching off of a, a of a main film. Um, but I don't think that when characters survive a story that we care about, it's not because the author, the creator, the director, the whatever is like, and I'm going to do a secret comic miniseries to explain, you know, whatever it's because sometimes the characters earn it separate from the story and um, Boba Fett earned survival and didn't get it. Didn't get it in 1983. Didn't get it in 1997, despite the fact that Lucas did consider adding a shot of Boba Fett getting out somehow, whether it was just the glove, whatever it was, he thought about it, but he didn't want to take away from, from Jabba's death. Um, and then it takes, uh, you know, as, as we know, it takes until, uh, takes until the more present time to say that he indeed did escape. I think we're better for that storytelling. Um, there's a change in the dialogue here, all the, 
mayhem going on, Leia, you know, solving her own situation. Uh, but Han uh, coming out of the blindness here originally says, I can see now and we need to just monkey around with it a little bit more. I can see a lot better. Um. Yeah, uh, and, and there's your argument for not special editions, just because there never was. You know, again, if something slips through and you go, it's unclear, or everybody in the world thinks that the dialogue is this when it's that. You know, okay, that's you know, that's one thing. But did it change in any way the meaning? the understanding, the whatever. No, it didn't. So then why, why mess with it? The thing I think I think about a lot when I watch these is people are watching these and they don't know what's always been in the film and what's been changed. Um, so something like later, Matt, with Darth Vader, no, getting added in there. Somebody's going to watch the prequels and then get to... Return of the Jedi, if they're going in the timeline order and be like, oh, look how they did that when there's been changes. You know, is this a 1997 change? Is this a 2005 change? Is this a 2007 change? I think I'd even read. I mean, I know that like most most people know that the, you know, in A New Hope, the McClunky line got added. Mm-hmm. For like the Disney Plus version, that's kind of how how it's referred to. I did read in the last couple of weeks that that was that like George had made that change before the sale. Maybe when he did the 4K up, you know, when he did the upscale to 4K or whatever, and, and just that like so he had made that change. It just didn't reach anybody for five, six, seven years because that's when the that's. I don't know if I don't know if there was a four four K, uh, Blu-ray sale parallel to the Disney Plus stuff, but like that's when the four K version got out there. But it had been around again, which is to say, changes were made as recently as the four K era and preparation for it, and a, a handful of years prior to the Disney sale. Not you know, and then the last change was made in nineteen ninety seven. The end. Yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. It's it's what we have, but I I think. The special editions are arguments against themselves, largely. Um, but we we have them, and and this is what we watch. Unless you want to go archival and you know dig out the older ones, and oh, this was what it was like before. Um, but you know, you have all the great Jabba stuff. It gets overshadowed, but salacious B crumb here. This this little cackling, uh, you know sidekick that he's got and you know uh the droids having to fend him off this while you know luke is up on the deck getting closer he gets shot in his robotic hand here uh later necessitating what i call the michael jackson one hand glove solution um and then uh luke and leia uh recreating the swing from the original film, but with the strange physics of we're going to swing from a thing that doesn't have a fulcrum point right over the pit to the place we're going. 
Pete, that might be your focus on the scene. I know that uh, if one watches carefully, you can see where Mark Hamill's eyes were uh, right prior to the swing. We'll just we'll just say that. I'm sure he was living in the moment as Luke Skywalker saying about man, come on. Yeah, like saying, look at this, look at this terrible outfit that that the evil now late job of the hut has, has put you in um but yeah you get that hero heroic flourish of uh you know uh tarzan and jane swinging away that sort of thing uh note to self we have a tarzan yell later in the film come to think of it um but yeah with all the it's a long time ago okay wookies were yelling that and eventually tarzan picks it up at all um the conclusion here, you know, and let's not forget the droids and how they're picked up and just, you know, the exploding sail barge, all of that, you know, just a great, a great capper to this opening portion. With them heading in different directions here, Luke heading to Matt's favorite location uh, of action, the Dagobah system and the rest rendezvousing with the fleet to lead us to the arrival of the emperor uh the royal guards here the red really popping seeing them for the first time amidst the white and the black and the craze the, the military uh monochromery of uh the empire and then the idea here of the emperor speaking to his apprentice invader um, that he's foreseen all of this, the idea of prediction and later finding out that he's laid this plan and set it in motion. Uh, on Dagobah, Pete, I, I, I will defend, I'll defend this Dagobah portion. Maybe it's a tad too much in the other film, but. Luke, <laughs> wait, Luke. Hey, Luke, I have one more thing that. Uh... Um, I know that it was important to George Lucas to communicate to younger audience members the truth with a capital T and all of that. So the fact that, you know, Yoda confirming that Darth Vader is his father and so forth. Again, I think for those of us who know these stories backwards and forwards, is it a little in excess to be told that for the 50th time? Uh, okay, fine, maybe, but the best of intentions in terms of we need everybody in the audience to be clear. And I think Lucas even had spoken with child psychologists and things like that, where, you know, here, here's what the questions children's will, uh, children's here's the questions children will have, um, et cetera, et cetera. Who is the most trustworthy? Who is the most kindly? Okay. This needs to come from Yoda unambiguously. So everybody's clear. Um, it's a, it's a good move to make sure that everyone is clear moving forward. And, you know, from Yoda's kind of more comedic persona, chiding Luke, look, I so old to young eyes, sick have I become, old and weak. When 900 years old, you reach, look as good, you will not. And then touching on Twilight, the idea of dignity in death here, I mean, it struck me when I first watched it in 1983. It struck me in particular rewatching now. Um, and that Luke was not in a position to confront 
Vader before. And as you said, you know, to have him, Yoda, be the source to tell him that because he rushed before, it was unfortunate, not that he knows, but that he wasn't ready to bear the burden of knowing that they eventually would have told him before he ran off to save uh, Leia and Han. I'll also add, and I don't say this to be funny i say this instead just to reflect on the experience i had watching this as a child uh having seen um the dark crystal a number of times you know that was burned into my 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 essence no dark crystal pun intended um but that was burned into my essence before seeing return of the jedi for the first time so when yoda dies and his body fades away and the blanket falls Mm -hmm. um I was like, oh, that, I mean, you know, powerful moment. Oh, that completely makes sense because that's what happened to the mystic at the, towards the beginning of, uh, of Dark Crystal. So ergo vis-a-vis uh, all Jim Henson style puppets who die on screen <laughs> must then fade with some sparkly sparkle there, uh, fade in front of a, uh, a young humanoid apprentice uh, and a blanket must fall thereby leaving the young male protagonist um perhaps not ready to enter the larger world but the the time has come and into the larger world he must go uh, the, this is simply just what happens when when you watch the dark crystal and return of the jedi it, all before age eight but this interesting dichotomy that now with the prequels is played up even further the idea of anger and fear aggression that you start down the dark path forever will dominate your destiny and knowing that luke breaks that chain that he undoes that uh because he's told not to underestimate the emperor um and that the last of the jedi will he be which yes in the advent of Ahsoka and other characters floating around, you know, Ezra, all that have come after who wouldn't be quote unquote traditional Jedi. And even then what fully does that mean? It's not like there's still a Jedi temple confirming that upon people, but that he's got to pass on what he knows, which ultimately he does with his family, which ultimately he tells, um, you know, Leia that he learns in the next scene, you know, this other sky Walker. Um, and then for Obi-Wan to appear to him to, this was initially the first place where we heard Anakin's name, uh, mentioned and this whole idea of a, a certain point of view, um, it still comes across to me uh, over convenient, you know, oh, your your twin sister uh, who will remain safely anonymous. Oh, it's Leia, <laughs> like immediately. Oh, the only the only uh, female character in the universe is your your twin sister. I still feel very passionately that Lucas felt I have to outdo. I am your father. Uh she is his sister. Pete, perhaps Lucas at that point was aware. Lucas and Marquand, the late Richard Marquand, 
uh, we're aware it's maybe time to, to to get a move on here with uh, you know with the philosophical stuff. Um, so pretty quickly we're we're heading to uh, second Death Star, second Death Star plans, etc. Um, I know I've made the smirky comment, you know, how many Star Wars movies have a Death Star or a Death Star beam or something like that, and I think I think later Star Wars, uh, you know, films maybe might not have needed to lean on some version of a Death Star um, as a plot device. I imagine that it was a fairly new and familiar and kind of like, oh my goodness, it's been six years since there was the Death Star movie. Now they now they got another one and it's just as scary and now I know how it works and they probably, you know, boarded up the thing from the first movie. So like, how are they going to destroy it this time? I'm sure it was a novel, uh, a novel reveal when it was only three Star Wars films and now crazy idea. What if two of them have a Death Star? <laughs> I mean, you come off this scene of the Rebel Alliance fleet with, you know, you're, we're seeing aliens with them for the first time. We're seeing a, a bigger gathering than we saw on Hoth. There's the Mon Calamari. There's, uh, you know, they're kind of uh, other squid looking alien. The one's called Ishi Tib. There's these guys with elongated heads, the, the one action figure, you know, they all gave him like understandable names. Originally in the cantina, you had walrus man and hammerhead. And, uh, the one here, he was prune face. And then even Lando's in on the meeting here. He's a general cause he pulled some fancy maneuver at the battle of Tanab and, uh, Mon Mothma, Matt, that all these years later, we would get more mileage out of as a character with this behind the scenes intrigue about these Bobbin spies and how many of them died to bring this information to them. Pete, I, I'd love to reflect on how this presentation of Mon Mothma shows both a sense of determination, perhaps is haunted by a certain sense of loss something that's only being explored, you know, at the very, just starting to be explored in the first season of Andor and presumably more in the forthcoming second season. But I was too distracted by what I think was really, really awesome computer-generated uh, effects here as they're looking at the hollow of the planet, or pardon me, of the moon and the the Death Star. And there's the, you know, the, the beam, the, the shield beam that's being broadcast from the moon and all of that. Um... I was so struck how it's it's not a big deal to have a scene like that now. It's probably something that somebody who's got, you know, who who has some level of mastery with after effects or whatever the whatever the proper software would be like, it's probably not that difficult to go somewhat rudimentary moon uh that kind of looks like a 3D map and and so on and so forth, but it looks so good. I don't think any of it is special edition. If so, I mean, that's original. The, that's the bleeding, bleeding edge of computer generated yeah. stuff. Let's not forget that there's a computer generated image of the Death Star in A New Hope. And it's a bunch of like white points and yes. so forth. Yeah, they wrote the software for, for these things. It's, and that's why I think it holds up so well. 
um, what a great job they did with those. And, you know, all right, here's the, the briefing that you got to take the shield down on the forest moon of Endor, not your old friend Andor, Mon Mothma, relax. Okay. And then they've boarded up the, the hole on the outside. So you guys are going to have to fly into the main reactor. Everybody got it. And, oh, hey, here's a third guy with a comb over who's a human who's going to explain to us that uh, General Solo is going to uh, take a, a shuttle that we stole. And if there was any, I mean, look, we all look back and go Empire Strikes Back. So fantastic. So on and so forth. If there was audience concern or story concern, like, yeah, that middle movie spent a lot of time with our heroes split. You know, they play the game in this scene. All right, General Solo is going to go. Oh, I didn't want to. I didn't want to speak for you, Chewie. You'll go. Oh, Leia will go. That's two. No, wait, it's three because Luke is here. Like to sit and go. Oh, my goodness. They're actually doing the team up. The, the Rebel Alliance team up thing that we didn't get last movie and kind of, you know, Han grudgingly participated at the end of the first one. Like, we're getting the team up that we always wanted. Um, again, in retrospect, we've all seen this movie a bunch of times. You go, okay, no big deal. But, Pete, they gave us what we always wanted and up until that point had never gotten. I mean, you lose sight of the fact that uh, Poe and Ray don't meet until the very end of The Last Jedi. It's important to to keep your characters together for some adventures you know uh but lando's gonna go his separate way and now he's offered the falcon and something that was originally to have been foreshadowing to the character's death uh to lando's death yes well i did not know that um don't mess it up on me and he was he was not gonna make it back uh, that's a good edit that they got rid of that because, I mean, I'm 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 trying to think. Does anyone really die? Does any character we care about really die in a Star Wars movie? I mean, Ben comes to mind, but then he's back as a ghost because he doesn't need to go Harrison to heaven yet. Ford wanted out at you know this point, and it was uh, all right. You won't kill me off. All right, I'll I'll make this one, and then I'm done. Uh, yeah, they were gonna kill off lando he was gonna buy it in the falcon um in the death star not get out of the flames there the stuff on endor utilizing the the redwood forest coincidentally not super far from lucasfilm hq there that, uh, it's the it's the further redwood forest and i only know this because i wanted to tour the very same and it's the one that's you know, a little further away in Northern California. It's not the immediate one uh, right there in Sausalito. Got it. Regardless, it's a, it's a good portion of the story. Again, like you might look back and say, well, it's not as exciting as Cloud City. It's not as sci-fi and so forth. A, the, I give them a lot of credit for doing something different. B, you know, I mean, fine, it's iconic now in the Redwood Forest. You know, you might have seen pictures, documentaries, whatever. It does look otherworldly. There's a reason it's this the vaunted redwood forest, not just you know some other forest. You know, um, before to yeah, you know, we have the great the, the great the iconic um, speeder scene, which I bet Pete you're going to tell me has been lightly they've re lightly removed mat lines from this as well because this similarly while this didn't look 2023 great, this also looked really really good. Uh, it's not 
been, been touched very much at all. Um, the original technology, Matt, of a camera strapped on to a running cameraman um, and, and just sped up. And then, of course, the, you know, blue screen work that they would do on the bikes themselves and put it in front of that footage. I mean, now this would be a, a volume type of fix uh, for that. But, you know, what an iconic uh, sequence, you know, the sense of speed, the sense of peril, the objects that they go around and through and under uh, that Leia gets knocked off her speeder bike and out that it splits them up that Luke flips off there and uses his lightsaber to deflect the, the, the green even more vibrant amongst other green things in the forest there. Um, just a, a really, really well done sequence that i mean 40 years later still stands the test of time yeah i think a lot of that is because it's so well conceived you know they, they've thought through um the right speed to film the guy with the steady cam who's you know who's doing all that stuff they've they figured out you know you walk at a certain speed we're going to film at x number of frames per second so when we speed it up now it's going to look like you know 150 miles an hour all, all the geography of like you know, trooper who runs into the tree stump and things like that. It's enough visual difference. I'm even thinking there's, you know, the slightly wacky, you know, woo, 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 woo sound effect as the one speeds out of control. Like, we're here to have fun. We're not here to say, wait, is Leia dead? No. Close up shot of her going, oh, oh, tr I got a bump on the head, so pass out, not dead, that sort of thing. Which, of course, leads to her being discovered uh, by Wicket, leading to the other Ewoks. Um, I don't know that as a kid, I ever loved the inclusion of the Ewoks, but it, similarly, it's tough. It's tough to hate the Ewoks. Pete, if anything, there's almost, if you hear hesitation in my voice, it's just to hear George, uh, I think on the DVD commentary track to say, well, people think there's the Ewoks are so kind of wimpy, but you know, they're, they're meant to be an analogy for the, for, for the Viet Cong and world, you know, in, in the Vietnam war, and uh, how they were able to, you know, fight against a world power like the United States. That's all. I, I follow your logic there. But Pete, is this, are the Ewoks really designed to be a Vietnam analog analogy? Like, you know, I get that this is being written early 1980s. There's more and more pop culture analyzing uh, the Vietnam War, the after effects and so forth. Was that really what they had in mind or were they like, Wookies, but no, as you said, too difficult to do tall. So how about, you know, uh, teddy bears that also toyify really well? Well, listen, all I can bring from it is the the seven-year-old mentality of, okay, this is this is really fun. And then you layer on that Wicket W. Warwick is played by Warwick Davis, 11 years old, little person, uh, a super fan that uh, Lucas would later build, uh, you know, a movie around with uh, Willow. And, you know, some of the changes here, we see his eyes blink when before, obviously, that wasn't possible to do. And to have 
the scout troopers kind of close in on them after uh, they've met. And the, the thesis of the indigenous over the technologically uh, over-reliant and uh, a spear and uh, a log uh, and then the blaster there uh, save the day and they go off um, and before we get back to Luke and Han and, and the rest of the, the group there searching for Leia, um, we have our um, uh, throne room scene for the first time with the Emperor. Uh, interesting on rewatch here that the Emperor knows that the rebels have landed, but not that Luke is amongst them. He didn't feel it. Vader felt it. And then the questioning, well, I wonder if your your feelings on this are clear, um, but now he's going to come to you and you're going to bring him before me and his compassion will be his undoing. And if, if Pete, you're suggesting there could be some, um, some imperfection in the story there, you know, as always, Ian McDiarmid's so deliciously not over the top. He's perfect for what the role needs to be. Um, and you kind of don't question any of those particulars, I would argue, just because uh, Palpatine is such a great, you know, mustache twirling villain. He's hideous to look at. He's got the whole cloak. He's constantly in shadows, et cetera, et cetera. Just everything the is pitch king, perfect. The, the speech, the teeth, all of it. You know, we, we thought this actor was 800 years old at the time when we saw this and the, to learn the, the man was, you know, slightly middle-aged was just mind blowing. And then to get him back for the prequels and have him be among the best things about those things. <laughs> um, but back down to the forest moon here where they find Leia's helmet. Oh my goodness. They fear the worst. And then to lighten it up that Chewie finds a dead animal that uh, is really a trap left by the Ewoks, who a couple moments of tension there, you know, uh, stone, uh, you know, mounted sticks um, in Han's face. And then um, utterly blown away that 3PO, of course, is worshipped by them before we wind up in their village. And hearing you recount that, you know what the, it reminds me or makes me feel, I shouldn't say reminds me because I was, I was a child for all this as were you, but th this whole recent tension of what is kid slash family Star Wars and what is real Star Wars for, for adults. Like, is there an art, look, Cloud City, which is a mining concern that also has governmental overreach issues and wants to uh, make sure that there isn't an overly oppressive uh, in inspection cycle, therefore has made a deal with the, uh, with the military. Okay. That's super compelling. Also like, so is like teddy bears in the forest with the trap things. And they, they think that the golden guy is a God. Like one is a little bit more kid oriented and, let's not lose sight of the fact that even though we keep watching these movies and we keep getting older, yeah. the movies are not, you know, all of this is not Andor. All of this is not, you know, 
well, well, Pete, sometimes, sometimes mommies die and you don't get to say goodbye to them. Like we can have teddy bears and floating guys and, and things of that sort. That's still Star Wars too, even though at this point in the prior movie, you're at Cloud City and there's a different level of tension and there's torture and all this. Like it's all there. And, you know, I think it's all too easy to say, you know, oh, they're doing this stuff again for the kids. Yeah, like since day one. I got the Ewok Village playset for my birthday in 1983, September of 1983. And I can't tell you the mileage we got out of that. You know, it had little tree forts for them to sit in and there was the trap you could drop and they had the little drum and you had the little uh chair that 3po sits in that you know you can levitate and all that i mean it, it's it's great stuff and it comes from super solid basic storytelling and and then the cutesy factor didn't hurt it at all. You know, that they, they've even got the the baby Ewoks here, the walklings, which are adorable. And uh, you know, Leia's there has been all along, and you know, she's wearing the local duds. And then the the great part with Luke telling 3PO to tell them you'll be angry and use your magic to diffuse all of this and then into a, a really nicely done sequence essentially story time of the two previous uh you know episodes with sound effects at which point hey you guys have been through a lot and we like the golden god here everybody's a member of the tribe um and if there's not a good-hearted message there then i don't know what there is if there's not a, you know i mean nominally they're still on a you know a rebel alliance mission here they're pete they're building to the they're building to the alliance there it's the, the the you know opening the arms of friendship and all that um that's fantastic stuff um i, I know before too long and this is something that i i remember as a kid saying wait luke is gonna pretend to get captured then he's gonna like be in the same room as darth vader on purpose like i could not believe it um such was the terror for you know for darth vader um but before too long he is uh he is caught uh and i think pete this is the portion of the story that they pulled from for some of the shuttle stuff for, for empire strikes back to make it clear that darth vader doesn't fly through space or beam up with scotty well that's all original to the film to, to this yeah yeah, yeah. Um, they took stuff from the very beginning of this film and added it into um, Empire. The the actor meeting him at the base of the ramp there when he first arrived at the Death Star. Um, but, you know, I want to touch on the Luke and, and Leia reveal here, him bringing up her real mother um, and the idea of having memory of her that she was beautiful and kind but also very sad and we know how padme dies so they use that um but then that luke has no memory and and never knew her when he he was there obviously <laughs> um kind of reinforcing 
the idea that maybe Leia was stronger with the force over the course of her life is an interesting way to look at it. And and then the disclosure that he has to leave, um, that Vader is his father, but wait, there's more that I have to tell you. Um, and you know, Leia poo pooing it. Oh, you have a power I don't understand and can never have. And then, you know, Oh, you're my sister and you have it too it's a little goofy for her to say, I know somehow I've always known. Um, and like I have posited on these podcasts, I, I think this was done in a way, you know, we, we need another twist on that level. We, we can't fall back on our laurels of the villain is the hero's father that he's got daddy issues. We need to complicate it even more. Um, but the upshot beyond the disclosure is, well, he's our father and I'm going to bring him back. Um, what follows there is a scene I think would definitely not be written today where Han is jealous and makes himself the victim when Leia is clearly in crisis. Um, he does have the uh, magnanimity to apologize. Um, but you know, the whole, Oh, well, could you tell Luke how you're feeling right now? It, it really would not be scripted this way today. He kind of super unbechdel tests the scene. Like he adds extra, like, Hey, you're going through a thing, which might be involving, uh, your connection to another man and so forth. But can we, can we add a second man into your situation right now and into your concerns? Um, I agree with, I agree with what you're saying, Pete, I think, and I'm not trying to defend the scene. I will just note, I think it's in line with a, the Han Solo character that we know and B it's also in line with, Oh man, we don't really have an arc for Han Solo period. Like, um, so he kind of needs to do stuff in the scenes in which he appears. So how would he feel in this scene? Well, we're not sending him on some, on some sort of arc of growth and being more generous to those around him. No, he's kind of like, hey, my girl's talking to the young, handsome guy who's got magic powers. I'm upset. Um, and that's, uh, again, could a better scene be done? Yes. I think that why is there not a better scene even by perhaps 1983 standards and, and, you know, without some of the, the gender layering and things like that, it's because you don't have a lot of room to go with this character because you haven't, you haven't given him much growth beyond, you know what, maybe I won't let all my friends die and I'll help them out in this war for a little bit before I have to go back and still pay my debt. That aforementioned scene where the shuttle comes down in front of the, the big shield generator dish, there's even an ad at there. So they've picked Luke up. He turned himself over. Uh, Vader says, because he's now accepted the truth and Luke even refers to him as father. Um, and even the idea that one of the skills that he needed to do was to construct his own lightsaber, all that stuff is important for the idea of Jedi and the force. Um, but here now referring to Luke for the first time as son, uh, that it's too late for Vader. 
that the emperor is your master now. Um, and two stormtroopers overhear this. So it was an interesting thought as I was watching here. The idea of Luke being Vader's child is overheard by company people that had to have talked and, you know, this stuff eventually filtered out into the galaxy. Are you proposing that um, maybe with a more independent director uh, on the set, as opposed to Richard Marquand, there's some quote that I have in front of me. He was like, he he said, having Lucas around so much was like uh, directing a Shakespeare play with William Shakespeare in the other room. Do you think, Pete, that maybe there's a there's a a note on the scene from producer Pete that could be why don't we not have uh, stormtroopers in the background here? Let's put something else to fill out the scene because now there are all sorts of questions about, about the secret getting out. I mean, that's a really good analogy to think about. I mean, you could imagine 500 years from now, Matt, you know, that a George Lucas is going to be viewed in, in such a way as a Shakespeare in, in terms of giving birth to, to this world and to these, characters and this essentially type of serialized mythological storytelling um yeah i mean i i think at some point you got to practically say do we want the two you know ordinary soldiers to hear this or do you maybe have a line of dialogue you're not to repeat anything you heard that's a secret uh now they they take them away into the elevator there and you know, are going to bring him up. I don't know why Vader would leave uh, the the prize captive who we know could, you know, just say to the stormtroopers, undo my cuffs. I need to get out of here. Uh, perhaps it's one of those situations Vader senses we're about to enter the third act and there's a certain sense of momentum <laughs> going on. I know the story's going to end, so I'm just going to bond villain this here. You'll, it'll all go to plan because I know you want to turn me to the light side and you, you're, you're going to go where I need you to go. Dramatic exit, stage left, <laughs> lights to black. Um, certainly before too long, Luke is on the Death Star in that just you know magnificent throne room setting there that I feel like I feel like in my mind the space of it just goes on and on and on it would, I, it's I in a tower it. actually it's and and you can see the the different you know spires shooting off of that the the four angles um really well done and just iconic is really the only word I can fall back on that. So recognizable to what it is that the guards are there, but all right, Luke is both uncuffed and the guards are told to leave. And then the emperor starts just this delicious smack talk throughout that all of this has been his design, this trap Oh, your your friends are doomed. Your fleet. Oh, you didn't think I knew about them. They're on the way. They're doomed. Um, all going to lead to, uh, you know, ruin for you and the hopelessness that you felt at this time. You know, you mentioned before that he'll be in the same room as Darth Vader. Now you've got Darth Vader's boss he doesn't have his lightsaber. How does he possibly get out of this? 
Well, and there's all that tension, despite this, the, despite the fact that this is a talky scene. I think that we, or talky portion of the of the movie, I think we buy the tension. We buy kind of the Luke Vader Palpatine triangle as personifying the overall conflict that's going on despite the fact you know we're kind of itching for a star wars space battle and parallel to this you know we have lando and the falcon wait what do you mean the 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 shield is still up we the audience know it's actually a trap um it's a trap um the, the the attempt down on the moon to you know before too long to to get into the into the shield generator uh building and all of that um again there must have been some discussion like oh are we into another like talky talk talk when people want to see action and it just because the different those three legs of the story are all leaning on each other um it just works and i think it lets us have it lets us have the bowl of philosophy while saying oh my goodness one of the greatest screen villains of all time and his boss are there with Luke Skywalker, who's alone, and I can see all these other characters, none of whom are going to suddenly swoop in to save the day. So, you know, he's he's depending on himself. Uh, it's it's excellent story plotting. The the old story clock, Matt. That the rebels are on the way. That oh, here's a secret entrance, uh, back door. The Lando and the fleet jump, but the shield better be down before they get there. Um, and the Ewok stealing the speeder bike as the distraction. Um, so there's one rebel, Matt. Uh, he's got a beard. The character's name is Nick Sant, S-A-N-T. Uh, but there are people that have kind of retconned, well, maybe that's old Captain Rex. He actually puts on um, a biker scout uniform he's later seen with the helmet off and his his beard uh but the the rex of uh star wars rebels with the beard uh kind of looks a lot like him hoping at some point maybe that gets uh firmed up could be kind of cool um pete sure, surely with... somebody at the toy department looked at this <laughs> white bearded guy Nick Sant, Saint Nick. I mean, come on. <laughs> you want to tell me there's a beautiful, you know, Star Wars behind the scenes story there as you know, as you just did with a beloved character and so forth. That's really touching. I'm looking at this guy going, yeah, it's uh it's Star Wars Santa Claus right there. <laughs> and then, you know, the most tie fighters we've ever seen, all of them just coming at that that sequence where the Falcon turns around and they just swarm like bees was just so mind blowing to see for the first time in a theater. Um, there were some poor effects, Matt, for some inexplicable reason. I've never seen it uh, fleshed out. The Emperor's left eye uh, and the hood, it might have been that the prosthesis was visible or whatever but there was a moving black mat line for many many years with the original cut um that it's it's one of the good changes they they fix it they kind of like i guess digitally tack it down or just you know make it darker um so you you can get good things out of the returning to the Jedi. 
<laughs> it's all about restraint. Uh, the the lightsaber battle here in the throne room, magnificent, great use of the set. I don't know, you know, what came first, the story to use the set or the set, and then they stage it there. Um, but you know, they're high, they're low, things are being thrown. Luke is hiding, which part of me, even as a kid, was like, "Come on, there's only so many of those supports. What do you mean Vader can't find him?" Still, it's like you know, shh. They're 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 dialoguing back and forth, and it's it's mm-hmm. it's the idea of the hunt, and it's I especially for me as a child, this idea of you know wanting to hide from Darth Vader, and if you only have eight posts to hide from, you'll still take one because he's that terrifying. Um, but then from a story sense too, you get you know when Luke finally gets pushed, and that's when, uh, that's when John Williams is really coming in, really playing the scene, playing the sadness of it because we are you know we are seeing and we are hearing through the music how luke really is being pushed to that edge and he might give in to anger and he might uh you know take vader's place and so forth and that's where again even if you're not aware of it as a kid all those things we've had along the way the black outfit and and all of that it's all coming together and you go oh my goodness he is he going to go bad right this amidst a three-headed battle you know you've got the ground war with the david versus goliath motif where there's humor one moment and you know there's practical trees exploding and then you've got the air battle where the emperor has orders says the uh you know um surviving admiral piet from Empire Strikes Back uh, for something special planned. And then the Death Star is fully operational. Oh my gosh, we don't have enough time. R2 gets overloaded by a blaster at the bunker and Han's got a hot wire it there. And then, you know, you mentioned this stuff with Luke. Um, maybe more gutting was seeing one of the Ewoks die Mm, yeah Um, and the blocking of it just remains genius to me it kind of rocks and then is still and we know and then the other one gets up and wails at it and and you know takes a beat and it, it is just so effective these are little people in furry costumes but you feel the hell out of it yeah and for as much as giant Wookiees would have been cooler or, you know, cyborg, whatever would have been more, (laughs) you know, more, whatever, you know, when one of the little teddy bears dies and the other teddy bears are sad, you know, that too, again, maybe that's not as, you know, macho as like, you know, empire strikes back stuff. But I mean, again, you can't, you can't argue that you don't feel it. Um, and again, underscores the David and Goliath stakes that are going on with this overmatch. You know, these these furry children, uh, you know, with sticks and logs and stones, um, you know, Chewie doing the Tarzan thing. And, you know, then we're smashing and you know tripping up the atsts and then the gambit 
after the extra bunker door has been hot wired to protect itself that Leia gets shot and uh, is going to use her blaster when they're cornered and the the flipping of the I love you, I know line is just genius um, before uh, Luke and Vader ultimately, you know, coming to a head. Oh, all right. You won't go to the dark side. Uh, I just read in your thoughts that you have a twin sister and uh, perhaps she will. Pete, just to go back to that Tarzan yell for a second, um, what particularly says we talk about the films of 1983, this just occurred to me. What would it have been like to see Star Wars, uh, to see Return of the Jedi, May 1983, and you go, oh, they did a little, uh, you know, Tarzan yell, yuck, yuck, yuck. One month later, you go to see Octopussy, the James Bond movie, which also has a Tarzan yell. Can you imagine just sitting there going, what is going on where there are these Tarzan yells in popular sequels within a month of each other like and i don't know what the answer is other than it's the old you know what if the internet commercially existed back then you know oh luke is uh the the villain's son and you know all this other oh boba fett dies in the first 25 minutes you know it 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 would have been review bombed well, anyhow, back to the 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 Vader fight here. Back to Luke, um, getting uh, Pete. My brain just gave me upper hand. Although I then want to talk about how Vader has his hand cut off. So thanks, brain. His second for... uh, hand cut off. Yeah, yeah. Remember, he had had it severed before, and so effectively done. You're going to take your father's place at my side. Wait, Dad had his hand cut off. I have a robot hand. I just cut it off. The circle never ends. And I wonder, you know, as we get the emperor, you know, like, like, well, we get the great, you know, Luke turning down the temptation. He does not bite at the apple. He is a Jedi like his father before him. But wait, Matt, Uh, it's totally out of character for a Jedi to toss a lightsaber, right? Um, I, I feel like, I feel like you're referencing something. What are you referencing? Uh, the last Jedi. (laughs) oh wow it's almost like poetry um but luke skywalker would never do that speaking of references is it a better reveal to watch these movies in production order and surprise the emperor has force lightning or is it better to be like oh man what if he uses force lightning like i saw him do in episode three it listen i only grew up as did you with the original. I think it's more powerful this way, obviously, because they go back and and retcon those things. It's the same reason why using a lightsaber feels beneath the power of the emperor. You can shoot lightning out of your fingertips, man. Why do you need to to get out of breath with, you know, sword fencing? Um, Yeah, it, it it. just felt beneath him it was a cool wrinkle with yoda all right he's tiny and he proves to be acrobatic at at such a crazy age i think there were so many more things layered upon it um ultimately of course with the force lightning attack there luke you know completely 
uh, you know, completely in duress there. Father, help me, please, and so forth. Um, I know that originally you just have the power of the camera and music and sound effects as you zoom in on Vader looking left to right, left to right at the horror that is in front of him, and then Vader, you know, going to the Emperor, picking him up, throwing him down the uh, the shaft there. I know that now he says no. And then he picks him up and says, no, and how that was directly informed by the much maligned, no, at the end of episode three. Pete, I can't defend the episode three one, uh, the episode three no, but I think that the no's are good here. I think that they are an, an improvement over a scene that did not need improving, but got improved nonetheless. I think it was so much more powerful, not knowing, <laughs> pun intended, <laughs> That, well done, Pete. Well done. That that he was going to save his son. And I remember the gasps, probably my own. Uh, you know, Darth Vader just saved Luke. What what did he do? And and then where you're left with the image after he's thrown into the the shaft and and kind of the you know, evil of him dissipating with with screams and mist um you know luke cradling his father uh with a with a high shot there just super effective i think the no is too much i i like that it's in the two bookends i i do like that but you know one bad choice at the end of one trilogy shouldn't have to make you uh you know make a better movie inferior. Oh, well now I need him to tell me that he doesn't want this. You know, the, the joke in that dubbing of revenge of the Sith, the, the backstroke of the West is that no gets translated into do not want. <laughs> and, and here I had forgotten that he says no twice and, and drags that second one out of it it totally took me out of the emotion of the scene. It was so much more powerful that, like you said, the looking back and forth, the, the body language is there in the storytelling. And then he picks them up and you're, what, what, he, oh, he's, he's on his side now. And to have him forecast it, the emperor would just turn to him and go, no, what you're done to. In any version of the film, uh, before too long, Vader and Luke are at the uh, are, are in the, the the hangar bay there, the shuttle bay. As we can hear Vader's, uh, uh, you know, decline in life and decline in the breather and all of that. And I, there's just there's such wonderful tension because it's an earned. It's clearly it's a very earned emotional moment. Let me look upon you with my own eyes. Take the mask off. We get for the first time. The reveal, of course, the reveal has changed throughout the years. Less, uh, less eyebrows and so forth. Change in eye color. Uh, Still, and so Sebastian forth. Shaw under there, which is not what we can say for the end of the film. <laughs> true, true, uh, and that is Sebastian Shaw, not Sebastian Stan. Don't make that mistake. <laughs> um, but he you might know. be there eventually for the other character. <laughs> Um, but I've always appreciated how there's the chaos of the unmasked, you know, like in the background, there's the chaos of the unmasking scene. Like, you know, some guy's going to find him or stormtrooper's going to come. Uh, then of course that's intercut 
with what's going on in what I guess is now the main part of the story. Lando, strike team, flying through the, the Death Star's core. All those effects, so, so good. I mean, it's worth kind of keeping in mind, though Lucasfilm, parallel to this, though Lucasfilm, you know, uh, Indiana Jones Ascendant, hey, we'll turn that into a new trilogy, uh, obviously on the heels of the success of the first one, though they were planning for what they felt was doubtless going to be an amazing new uh, series of films with Howard the Duck two years after this, though maybe there were the earliest thoughts of, what if we did Star Wars but fantasy with this little little, little guy who played uh, Wicket, we'll call it Willow. Um, they thought this was it for Star Wars, you know, why do more than three? It's going to fade eventually. And just in the, in this Death Star scene, just, you can sense that it's, let's do the best Star Wars battle that we can do the best, not quite, you know, trench run, but in, in the spirit of the trench run, everything that we've learned in the last six years, let's just throw it all in here because there's not going to be any more Star Wars after this. It's such a rousing third act. You know, that's where the criticism of the Ewoks has always fallen short for me. It, it yields this gigantic battle on these three levels. You know, the intimate one that we're super invested in. The the little guys versus the, the terrible empire. And then this fierce, never seen on this scale air battle that now they fly into the evil fortress they matt they they lost the radar dish on the falcon okay <laughs> do, you, do you realize that all right uh what a close call they had it's it's done at excessive speed it's just remains so interesting to watch you know the the dipping and diving around the bad guys chasing them and you know smashing against walls not everybody makes it um and as this is going on, the evacuation that they thankfully don't see Vader's helmet taken off, that he has this moment with his son that he's going to die anyway to tell his sister that he was right. Um, as Lando blows the core and uh, they retreat from the, the flames just in time. There's an added shot, Matt, because, again, we can't just trust the viewer. We need to show that the fleet moves a little further away digitally so they don't get caught in the shockwave, which is really goofy. Um, yeah. Um, the attention to detail in terms of, you know, we find the Millennium Falcon is making its way out. Now the fire is getting closer and closer and just the foresight of and we're going to show from the cockpit view, the fire's overtaking the cockpit, and we're even going to have the explosion, and then the Falcon shoots out of they it. It's going to make it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> good good edit to have them make it there. Um, well, I think you'd end in such a bittersweet downer. Yes, we lost people, and I'm, I'm going to add the, the specter of something maybe worse in a moment, you know, you have the celebration, there's been sacrifice, but nobody super notable has gone, so you can still feel the uplift. Yeah, and at the end of the day, there is, uh, you know, there's there's all 
all the celebration and so forth. Uh, again, I think it's a really good um, balance between the celebration on Endor. Yes, fine. In the special edition, I, I do think this is also an improvement where we see celebration throughout the galaxy. Um, weird to have seen a similar montage in November 2020, but I digress. Um, but to have all that celebration that's that's so public, whether it's on Endor or now the larger stuff across the different uh, the different planets, to have Vader's funeral pyre kind of off to the side and that quieter note there. I don't know that as a kid I loved it. I think that it's a really nuanced presentation here i think it's you know slightly more mature thing you know life and death and all, all of that there um and then you know <laughs> i have to admit pete i never noticed that when the forest ghosts return i never noticed that uh hayden christensen's head is so poorly pasted on there i didn't notice it until frequently yeah. in our these last couple of weeks going to the wikipedia on changes in star wars and saying oh oh wow that really is a terrible job that they did so pete can we special edition the special edition did you apparently get to choose what you look like when you become a jedi force ghost well why would ben remain old wouldn't he want to be you and mcgregor instead you're pete you're being you're being overly unfair there it's it's to return to to return to when you were at peace and ben died happy and yoda died happy and this is when anakin was last happy and I, I think it's a good i i think this is a good addition even if it is slightly fuzzy as to the logistics you, you wash away the moment that he has with his son in the redemption um you know you were right you brought me back there was good in me i am happy now i can go peacefully I I wouldn't have done it. Um, yeah, I get the continuity of it all. And, you know, people have posited, you know, before he fell, that's why he appears that way. Um, but, yeah, it, it it's tough for me. Um, the ways in which they've changed this here, you know, you went from the funeral pyre to the fireworks and then to the yub-nub celebration. And then for the special editions you added Bespin and, and Tatooine and we had never seen Coruscant before. And that was the whole thing. Like, all right, this, this is the glimpse of the new trilogy here. You're, you're seeing the, the, the big city world. That's going to be such an important setting that had been written about first in the books at the beginning of the decade. And that was really a, a big look there. And then they've since added Naboo after the prequels here, um it works and you know kind of this galactic a little bit more homogenized song and yeah john williams wrote it but i i think again there was a little bit more soul in the original here's the question though matt there are stormtrooper helmets of varying types you got your ogs you got your scout troopers you even have like the 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 black tie fighter uh helmets were imperials eaten by the ewoks uh in around this celebration 
Wow, I never stopped to consider that. Um, they were going to eat Han and Luke and Chewie, okay? They've just won this big battle. Did these rebels look the other way? Oh, it's a dead stormtrooper. These little guys helped us. Eh. Um, you know, Pete, I'm reminded here of, uh, you know, Carl Weathers. There's still plenty of meat on that bone. You know, throw, <laughs> throw it in a pot, make a stew. You got a stormtrooper stew, baby. Listen, we're not here, Pete, to tell people how to live. Least of all, fictional teddy bear people from thousands of years ago in another galaxy. They want to eat. If they are carnivores, okay, and your choices are, because I don't think we saw any other kind of alien creatures on uh, on Endor, right? Nothing that maybe some birds. An animal that was used as bait to trap. Okay. So look, there's a bunch. Of, there's a bunch of stormtroopers. Those two really lousy made-for-TV movies that we all watched as kids that are on Disney Plus. Those two Ewoks movies, but man, you're not coming close to anything like you see here. Ewoks got to eat, and I'm not saying that uh, you know the Rebel Alliance has to partake either. Uh, so sure, they're 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 they got plenty of food for the rest of the for the rest of the the, the winter. Let's go with that. Well, ensuring Matt that we have plenty of podcast food and can pay our bills are the good people of Patreon.com that are going to get our little uh, Return of the Jedi special edition after this podcast indeed big thanks to those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek uh particularly as we you know start to start to put some star wars in the rearview mirror but uh revving up for the the late winter early spring run of star trek picard and the mandalorian season three uh so certainly busy times ahead and the support always appreciated Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content. It takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door. Can't contribute right now. Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts where you can leave us a rating or a review to any of our 33 podcast feeds. And Pete, though this ends the Star Wars uh, movie podcast saga that we've been doing, like I said, with Star Trek and Star Wars ahead of us, how can people be in touch with you on a popular social media network that still currently exists? <laughs> you can be part of the rebellion on Twitter and find me at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,697 followers. Can't be wrong. Well, I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost. Do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Pete, if you're listening to this on the Andor podcast feed, we're going to be rerunning some of our older Star Wars uh, movie uh podcast which is to say from the more recent movies but older in our podcast uh oeuvre uh if you're listening on the pop culture podcast feed have some goodies planned for the next couple of weeks before we start to settle into that picard countdown for now though pete i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word fly casual <laughs>